Oh, is it? It's not a blue Monday, is it? Did you behind the glass, Jerry? It'll be at least gray out there. Yeah, gray is the operative word this week. I think on my fo- weather app on my phone, at least, shows no indication of sunshine for the next handful of days. Very observant of you, Jerry. Although Environment Canada saying sunny on Thursday and a high of three degrees. So I guess we'll see who's correct. That was uh, the name of the song Jerry was playing, by the way. Oh, I understand. I got it. I'm tuned in. I'm tuned in. I'm I'm just tuning in our (laughs) listeners as well. Blue Monday, uh, the cover by Orgy is the name of the band. It is? The New Order song from the, the 80s. Yeah, that was the Orgy cover. Oh, it wasn't New Order. Correct. Oh, okay. Nice. Much, see. much harder than the New Order version. I did need to be tuned in. <laughs> I used good. to use that uh, that song as a Charles Adler's uh, music in the promos back when I was his technical producer. So I have a, an affinity, a particular affinity for that song. So thanks, Jerry. It's a great way to start the week. So what did Tiger Woods do for your golf obsession this weekend, Brett McGarry? Tiger, 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 Tiger Woods, y'all. You know, I'd be curious to know what the how the ratings changed the moment he hit that tee shot on 16 out of bounds. Because I know I turned it off immediately. And for those who don't care about golf, this, this, here's the thing with this Tiger Woods comeback that we're witnessing here. This is a moment in sport that transcends the sport. Tiger Woods is one of the all-time greatest athletes in his field, uh, like a Michael Jordan kind of person, like a Wayne Gretzky. We mentioned this before. So to watch this man who we thought was done, who last fall, I think, last year, he thought he might be might never get to play again. Mm-hmm. He had this back, this fusion surgeries, had all kinds of back operations, and now he, in his fifth tournament since his comeback began, here he was once again, in contention. I was screaming at the TV, yes, when he made a birdie, I think it was on 15, and uh, because suddenly he was creeping up the leaderboard and it looked like he might catch up. Didn't he get to within one stroke of the leader? Yep. He uh, was eventual winner Rory McIlroy, right? This is at Bay Hill. Yes. Arnold Palmer Invitational. Yeah, a tournament Tiger Woods has won eight times. <laughs> so... Then he hits his tee shot out of bounds, and that effect that took him right out of it. In the end, it wouldn't have mattered because even had Tiger birdied every single hole, he wouldn't have caught Rory McIlroy. No, because he was, got on a heater in the last four holes or something himself, right? Yeah, he was he was he was eight under par. Rory McIlroy had a spectacular tournament, which is also a great story because he hasn't won since 2016. But yes, I'm very excited about Tiger Woods, and it's not just uh, it's exciting because he we're coming into the Masters. This week, right? Is it this week or next One week? One more week. Uh, it'll be the first weekend in April. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Pardon me. So it's uh, it's super exciting to see that. And yes, it, it fed my golf obsession, and I was just watching this thinking, oh, it's so close. I got to go over to do some virtual golf, I think, at Kingswood to get warmed up. Well, you were trying to explain to people that are maybe going, huh, why are these guys talking about this? Well, you found this article from Yahoo Finance, and yes, it's a week old you now. You were trying to explain. Nice little, <laughs> think, nice little subtle Greg Mackling dig. Oh, oh no, no. No, you did a great job of explaining, <laughs> but this this Yahoo Finance article really brings it home for people. And this had this goes back to last weekend uh, during uh, the Fal- Valspar uh, tournament. And uh, just read the quote from the bartender that you dug up. Oh, the, yeah. There's so there's uh, the anecdotal evidence. Well, the headline is the Tiger Woods economy has real impact, and. You pointed out last week that ratings for the Valspar Championship, which is kind of a nothing tournament, were 
as big as they've ever been. And also for the for this particular tournament, more, actually more people watched the final round of that tournament, the Valspar, than watched the final rounds of the U.S. Open and other big tournaments. So that's that's a, a Tiger Woods impact. But also there's a bartender here who says he works in a golf clubhouse who said, I made three times as much money on Sunday as I normally do because Tiger was in contention. Right. So that's just one example because people are crammed into the clubhouse. They want to see how Tiger's doing. They've gone and played their rounds, and they're sticking around to watch the rest of this tournament. So that's just one example of how one man is fueling an entire business and all of the, the the sort of branches of that economy. And how many of these similar conversations do you think we'll be having down the stretch of the NHL season with the Winnipeg Jets into the playoffs? And if they go on an extended playoff run, the economic impact it's going to have on a variety of different businesses here in Winnipeg, including and in particular uh, hospitality industry, restaurants and bars. Uh, last night we were celebrating my father-in-law's birthday at my oh, uh, brother birthday. and sister-in-law's last night. And well, after we got through the meal, it was a frantic search to to get the hockey game on the TV. <laughs> and it wasn't just me, and it wasn't just uh, my father-in-law, but it was everybody. Mm-hmm. It was the entire fa- Everybody wanted to see what was going on with the game. Yeah. Because people are genuinely uh, catching a little bit of a fever here. So uh, this whole economic of sports and the economies attached and how it affects us, I think, is going to be a fascinating study, not only with Tiger Woods heading into the Masters Championship, because there'll be Sunday dinners interrupted if he is in that final group or anywhere in contention uh, coming up for the Masters. And your entire life may be turned upside down if the Winnipeg Jets go on an extended run in the playoffs here. Brett McGarry, Saturday Night Live. Uh, ebbs and flows, right, as to whether or not it's must-see TV or not. Oh, for sure. On Saturday night, uh, Canada got into the fray, yeah. thanks to the folks at SNL. Yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, Bill Hader guest-hosted Saturday Night Live over the weekend. He played a producer who is deemed the Canadian version of Harvey Weinstein, and who can't be sorry enough. Tonight on the CBC NewsHour, the Me Too movement that started in Hollywood has now reached Canadian shores, as new accusations of sexual misconduct are made against Toronto producer Thomas Logan. Once considered the biggest movie mogul in the North, he is now being called the Canadian Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, I've heard all these accusations against me, and I'm here to say it's all true. I uh, definitely abused my power, yeah. Why don't you tell the folks at home what you did exactly? Yeah, you know, I, I had this uh, assistant and I was real inappropriate, you know, uh, saying stuff like, you look nice today, or uh, what kind of sunglasses are those? You know, uh, really pestering her, you know. So uh, she got ticked and, uh, well, I just, I just went ahead and resigned. Logan, now exposed as a monster by Canadian standards, has taken his name off some of his greatest hits. Movies like, you don't say. It happened at Tim Hortons. And Dave, the Dave Thomas story starring Dave Foley. Watch as the disgraced mogul is confronted by his victims. Yeah, so I'm minding my own when Thomas walks in and says, that's a nice sweater you got there. And I'm thinking, that's a bit forward. Soon as I realized, I said I was sorry. Oh yeah, yeah, he said he was sorry. So I go to HR and I say, sorry, I gotta say, but I really put my boot in at this time. And HR lady says, no, I'm sorry. I should have seen this coming. So I resign and then she resigned. 
And I resigned too, because I was just so sorry about how it all turned out. Watch as his close collaborators process the fact that they had been working with a monster, as Canadian supergroup Arcade Fire shares their sordid story. Yeah, I don't really know the fella, but I guess we did a soundtrack for him once. And are you sorry you did that, Wynn? Oh yeah, real sorry. And the rest of you, Regine? I'm sorry. Richard Reed Perry? Oh, I'm sorry. Mm. William Butler? Not Canadian, but still sorry. Tim Kingsbury, Timmy? I'm sorry. Jeremy? Drums? We were saying we're sorry. Sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Well, uh, I'm sorry, guys. We have to wrap this up. Oh, that's oh, no, 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 All that plus mooses on the nose. Tonight on CBC. <laughs> you know what? We're going to move on to a different topic here, but this reminds me of something. A friend of mine took one of those Contiki tours in uh, Europe mm -hmm. a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And he, I think he was one of the only Canadians on this tour. And it came up from the rest of them. They all observed how often he said, I'm sorry. And then when they would tell him that, he would say, well, I'm sorry <laughs> for being sorry all the time. Yes, we have a reputation. There's no doubt about it. And sometimes it's well-founded. I think we say I'm sorry more than we say A. Yeah. Like in Canada, when you are out at a nightclub, and I'm not saying it's always this way, but I know for the most part, when you bump into someone, you're apologizing for them bumping into you quite often, <laughs> for you getting in the way. Mm -hmm. And that's a distinct difference between being in a crowded place in Canada versus being in a crowded place in America, without doubt. Yeah. it's uh, Well, it, it's just, for example, there's uh, if you watch a reality television show that is typically American, and then there's a Canadian version of that same show, you can see the... T usually what happens is the Americans are really aggressive and they're, they're, it's all cutthroat, but then the Canadian version, even though it's a, a competition, they are apologizing to each other for cutting the line. Oh, I'm sorry, did I cut you in line? This was your spot. Yeah. Canadians! <laughs> Something to be proud of, right? <laughs> Isn't it? I think so. I don't want to be overly passive, but I think it's a good way to be. More Pat Boone. Paul Anka. Paul Anka. Ottawa's own Paul Anka. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry with you on a Monday morning. Kelly Moore makes it three M's in the studio to get your Monday going. Kelly, good morning, sir. A gentleman, how are you? Not bad at all. Pretty good weekend oh. if you're a sports fan. Lots of things to take in. We got March Madness, which we won't really talk much about, but the fact that the first time ever a number 16 beats a number one seed was pretty pretty interesting on Friday you know, night. I just uh, happened night. to check that out on Friday night. I'd been watching a bunch of other things, and I thought, I'll see what's going on in the tournament. And all of a sudden, boom, there's UMBC and Virginia. And I'm, What? So what is this? The University of Maryland, Baltimore, Baltimore County. County. Yes. The Retrievers. The, the Retrievers, Retrievers <laughs> beat uh, Virginia, who were uh, obviously well, one of the, the top four teams in the country. 
They were the number one the team. The number one? The yeah, number they, one they team the in the country. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. I was at uh, Earl's on St. Vitale when the, and the game was on, and I wasn't really paying attention. It was yeah. just kind of background noise. And with about five minutes left in the game, I just kind of looked up, and I saw the score, and I saw what appeared to be a number one beside Virginia and a number 16 beside UMBC. And I actually had to say to my friend, can you read that and tell me if I'm seeing that correctly? Because it was one of those things where... I was having a hard time processing it because yeah. it had it never happened. And they were yeah. not just winning, but they were killing Virginia. Yeah, and just to put that into proper context, before that game, number 16 seeds were 0 and 135 all time <laughs> versus number one seeds in the tournament. So it wasn't one in a million, but it was pretty darn close in well, basketball. Yeah. Uh, in it, basketball parlance, it was <laughs> So the Winnipeg Jets uh, last night, another home ice victory, two more goals for Patrick Laine. This young man continues to dazzle, amaze. Uh, we're running out of superlatives to describe what he's managing to do right now. We really are. And when you can Consider he could have had four or five goals in that game. I mean, Didn't he, he have had 11 shots 11 last shot night? At, yeah, six missed uh, attempts, three were blocked, and then the two that went in. So he I mean, he could have had a, a tip. But, you know, it's typical against the Dallas Stars. He had eight goals against them in the five games last year, and he's had six in the four games this year. You know, I... I, I, I would imagine that he's good. Come on, Dallas. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> in terms Get of facing, <laughs> facing them in the playoffs, yeah, Exactly, right? yeah. And so, of course, the Jets didn't do themselves any favors. And, and that if, was a playoff-style game last night, Well, too. and I think we're yeah. going to see a couple more of those this week, right? Kelly, L.A. Kings yeah. coming in tomorrow night fighting for their playoff lives. And Absolutely. we're not used to the Anaheim Ducks being at the playoff line, but that's where they find themselves, and the Jets yeah. face the Ducks on Friday night. Yeah, no, those are going to be two outstanding games because both of those teams are also big and physical. You know, I always like to call Randy Carlisle's teams a bunch of talented thugs, and I say that uh, in complimentary fashion because they play in your face all night long. So as we uh, keep looking ahead and try and put in perspective what the Jets are doing right yeah. now, um, there was one play last night that had Jets fans uh, yeah. a little bit upset. Cringing, Cringing mm -hmm. yes. Uh, Jamie Benn and Jacob Truba met at the blue line. I, I didn't see it. I saw it this morning. Really a, a hockey play. Nothing That's really dirty about it. No, Jacob Truba was going to administer the hit. And Jamie, Ben saw him at the last minute. Defense. Yeah, you almost kind of think, well, you know, you look up and boom, that's why it was helmet to helmet. And, you know, Jacob Truba kind of had the Bambi legs going as he was trying to get back to the bench. So I, I think it would be very questionable that he'll play tomorrow night against the LA Kings, but you never know. So Now, not everybody yeah. would have seen the highlights from last night, but Jamie Ben scored a goal <laughs> in the smallest spot. Yeah. Connor Hellebuck says it might have been the, the best goal the he's best ever, goal ever given up. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you couldn't have put much more than a postage stamp in that opening. If you could just visualize, there was like a, a puck with opening from Connor Hellebuck's top right shoulder and the crossbar and the goalpost. And that's where Ben zing, uh, Ben was able to zing it through. Yeah, yeah, absolutely fascinating yeah. stuff. So we can talk lots about the Jets, uh, lots of things to discuss. If Blake Wheeler's in the conversation, and some people say he is for the Hart Trophy, 
it's kind of bizarre because Connor Hellebuck might actually be the team MVP. Well, that's right. Yeah, and, and I think Hellebuck will get some recognition for the Vezina Award as well. He's played a lot of games, and he's played a lot of games very well. He, he was, I mean, I thought his best week of the season was last week. Agreed. When he came on in relief uh, in Nashville and then after playing so well in Washington the night before. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. U of M Bisons. Oh, this is a huge thing. The first ever national champion for the uh, championship for the University of Manitoba Women's Bison Hockey Club and the first hockey championship on a national level for the U of M. Do you know since when, Kelly? I'm going to say 1975. 1965. 1965. If you can wow. believe that. So this yeah. is a huge accomplishment for John Rempel and his uh, and his uh, women's hockey team. It really is. Yeah. Lauren Keane was the tournament MVP. She scored the big goal yesterday that the scoreless tie late in the second period. Uh, Ven Lahovi, who of course played in the Olympics for Finland, had the insurance goal. But Lauren Tereschuk, I don't know how she wasn't named the tournament all-star goaltender. She gave up one goal on 59 shots. You know, and and one of those games was a shootout win over Concordia in the semifinal on Saturday. So, uh, yeah, but they play terrific defense. Congratulations to John Rempel. Uh, I've known him for a number of years. He's put in a lot of time and a lot of effort into that program. So, most deserve it. Yeah. Uh, we were talking earlier about Tiger Woods. Oh. Uh, it's not just the, the headline was the Tiger Woods economy has real impact. So, it's not just his impact on the game itself, but uh, the way that people spend money and get into this game. But watching this tournament yesterday, uh, as soon as he hit that tee shot on 16 out of bounds, that's where I Why? stopped paying attention. Why did he just not keep the fairway iron? I'm going to, you're having a Jean Vandeveld moment here, Tiger. Yeah, and he said <laughs> afterward too, he said, you know, I just, I, I, I wasn't, or I couldn't commit to it because I think the, the first three days he had gone wide right. Right. So he was trying to compensate for that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, sometimes if you if you can't control the driver, just yeah, put it he away. Was striking the iron. So, I mean, it might might not have made a difference, you know, with how Rory McIlroy finished. You know, birdied five of the last six holes, so it wouldn't have mattered. Tiger couldn't have caught him anyway. Yeah. But, I mean, it still would have kept the drama going for a couple more holes. Well, and it might have put some more pressure on Rory, right? True enough. You but, know, yeah. that's, that's the part of that discussion that we might be ignoring this morning. But it is incredible to see how many people... Are, get on board, like people that never watch <laughs> golf are like, uh, yeah, can we stop what we're doing right now? Because I'm going to watch this for a little bit. Yeah, no, and, and when he is in the zone, you know, I can't remember who it was that they quoted uh, saying, how does Tiger play in this fishbowl week after week after week? It was, I think it was, they were referring to Rory McIlroy said that, that early okay. a, few, yeah. a few weeks ago that Rory was paired up with Tiger and I can't remember who the third was. And they were they commented on how Tiger probably loses at least a half a stroke around just from all of the noise and the people trying to say their mashed potatoes oh, yeah. and baba booey whenever they take their it, shot. That gets tiring after a while, at least in my opinion anyway. But <laughs> I'll tell you what, though, in two weeks from now, when the Masters tees oh. off, the, the TV ratings will be through the roof. Now, you've got, uh, you've got a busy week this week. Sorry, Kelly, yep. just looking at the clock here, and I want to oh, get yeah. this in. We've got CFL week coming yep. up this week. Uh, tremendous number of activities for the public to take in. It's a huge week for the CFL and for the Blue Bombers. Yes, it's Mark CFL week. It's going to be uh, – it, it gets going on Wednesday with the Hall of Fame Gala, then Fan Fest uh, all four days out of the convention center. Uh, we're going to be bringing in some big names into the studio for Mackling and McGarry. We're also going to be on site at the convention center. We'll have some players visiting us there so stay 
tuned because we are going to be front and center with CFL Week. Randy Ambrosi and a very special guest. Tomorrow. <laughs> Tomorrow morning here on Mackling. Yeah, for and an er- earlier than usual edition of Breakfast with the Bombers. Kelly, thanks for this. Uh, great to catch up with you on this Monday morning. We are now going to talk about and expected to learn later today about the Manitoba government's proposed stiffer penalties for driving while using a handheld device. Manitoba's Infrastructure Minister Ron Schuler presented the new bill at the legislature on Friday. At least he tried to do that. The proposed legislation would see first time distracted drivers receive a three-day suspension of their license. Subsequent distracted driving offenses could mean a seven-day license suspension. I've got a great text message on this that I'll throw into our discussion as we have coffee and talk about whether or not these new harsher penalties are welcomed or are they too dramatic a change? Jeff Braun, Shanalee Vidal, Kelly Moore, and the omnipresent behind the glass, Jerry. Shanalee, is this finally enough or is it too much you know it's i was surprised to hear about this because it is it is very drastic but i think sad to say this is the kind of change that we need because people are still doing it they're still texting while driving they're still playing with their phones just leave it alone just put it away and the amount of people driving distracted has skyrocketed over the past few years and so it's not worth it because you know, you're going to you're going to hurt someone. You're going to get into an accident. You, you might think, oh, it's just a second. I'm just looking, checking my email or whatever is just for a second. Well, in that second where you look away and you're fiddling with your phone, you could kill somebody. So I absolutely agree with this. Brett, we know this is wrong yet we continue to do it. Yeah. And actually, I was really impressed with uh, when I sent you a text message on the weekend, Greg, and what I got in return is it okay if I read this? Absolutely. The return, it was, it was an auto-fired text message which said, I'm driving with do not disturb while driving turned on. I'm, I'll see your message when I get where I'm going. I'm not receiving notifications. If this is urgent, reply urgent to send a notification through with your original message. And I got that again a bit later on. So it, a couple of things were accomplished there. One, I knew, oh, well, he's busy, and there's a reason why he's not going to reply. And two, I thought, hey, that's something that I should do. I didn't know that I could do that. Is that something where you went in and just typed up? A, an- I, I actually fell for one of those clickbait <laughs> articles on Facebook, uh, several things that you didn't know your iPhone could do. I didn't know I could do that, and I enacted it on Saturday morning. So uh, I think... That helps get the message across as well, Kelly. Not only uh, does it save you some money, but it also it highlights to your friends, hey, um, this is what I've done, and it may encourage them to do the same thing. Yeah, I have that on my phone as well. Uh, I don't know if there's a message that comes back to people trying to text me because, you know, in the afternoon, it's probably a, the better part of a 45-minute to an hour drive. So if, if you're not responding within that time frame, people are, you know, probably wondering why. So I'll have to check that out and see if, if I've got that, but I've got the same thing. Uh, it will not receive notifications while I'm driving. And I, as for this this rule, uh, I wouldn't mind if they even stiffened it even more so. And, and, and if it's not enough of a deterrent, then all of a sudden you have to say, okay, this is uh, uh, this is addictive. It's not just a habit. And I'm talking about people texting and driving. I think all my friends have a thing on their phone where they just don't get my messages, period. (laughs) That's what they tell me anyways. (laughs) Jeff, it's called called your number's been blocked. I think a lot of people agree with the notion that we need to do more, but 
already getting text messages. People are like, hey, we need to be tougher, Jerry. Yeah. But don't like the idea that the police can, on the spot, suspend my license for three days. That's that's a point of contention for a lot of people. Yeah, and I mean, I'm, I'm a reformed, distracted driver. I used to, you know, get to a stop light or whatever, and I'd start texting or emailing or whatever. Uh, I don't do that anymore. I just... My my phone is in my pocket, and, and that's where it is. If I get a text message, though, my, my car actually reads it out to me. And then I get a, a choice of five different uh, replies I can send if I wish to, just on, on the screen of my uh, radio. And, and that's how I deal with that now. Uh, but, uh, you know, first time a three-day suspension, I don't know if I'd want that uh, in the hands of an officer right off the bat. Uh, if he's having a bad day and whatever... I don't know. I, I think second second time, seven days, absolutely. But I think maybe maybe a fine and a warning for the first one. Now, the this auto text, I wanted to ask you about that, the, the fact that you, it comes up in your car. Yep. Do you find that distracting when suddenly you're now having to look at your touchscreen and, and select an option? It's just as distracting as changing the station on a radio. Yeah. That's, that's, it's exactly the same thing. It's just one button push. Okay. And on mine, I, I, I can just do it by talking. I just... It's like, dude, would you like to reply? And I could just dictate it. And it sends it right back, so it's all audible. But I thought Did, everybody ignored you. No, this was, I'm talking about when my mom texts me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so she you needs can, to know that I'm safe at all times, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> so you can let us know at 204-780-6868. And Greg, you referenced that there was a text message that uh, you wanted to read. Uh, the new cell phone legislation, I agree, texting and driving is dangerous. However, giving the officer the discretion to write a ticket and suspend your license for three days is wrong. I drive 12 hours hour days and have been ticketed on Keniston driving 18 kilometers uh, in bumper to bumper traffic with my arm on the console of my truck and holding my chin up. Cell phone ticket, not convicted. Driving Main Street and Leela open a caramel milk chocolate bar with one hand and uh, got a ticket for that. So uh, a lot of people concerned about the, the discretion, yeah. right? And uh, and it happening right on the spot. And uh, I think that's, that's, that's open for debate, I think. Oh, I'll tell you, it, you can take this out of the hands of the officer by not having your phone in your hands. We are getting all sorts of feedback at 204-780-6868 on distracted driving and the expected penalties that will be laid out later today. Yeah, you know, distracted driving has become a major issue everywhere in North America, probably around the world. And, uh, well... Here's Ron Schuler, Infrastructure Minister, on just how prevalent it is. This is a real problem. And if I could share two sets of numbers for you, over five years, this is from 2011 to 2016, the number of accidents for impaired people went from 230 down to 145. Same time period, distracted driving accidents went from 2,415 to 11,000. 86. It went up fourfold. Now we are about to get a strong dose of reality if the current government gets its way. New fines and suspensions are on the horizon for Manitobans who insist on using their handheld devices. Once again, Ron Schuler, Infrastructure Minister. Right. And Richard, unfortunately, there's a lot more that goes with that. However, by the rules of the legislature, I can't talk about the other parts of the bill. It, it's one of those rules that we have to live by 
I just want to say something to both of you and to anybody listening. It is time we start treating distracted driving like we do drinking and driving. We're going to start treating them the same. We can tell you that the proposed legislation will mean suspension for non-compliance. You've been hearing it uh, since Friday on this radio station. Three days for a first offense that's in addition to the $204 ticket and five demerit points and a seven-day suspension for any subsequent convictions. Tons of text messages at 780-6868 on both sides of this issue. People questioning whether or not you'll be able to adjust your heat, adjust your radio, People saying it's about time. Here's Mike Major, president and CEO of CAA Manitoba. Uh, yes, I do. Very much uh, happy to see it. Well, of our members in, in Manitoba, CAA members of Manitoba, 208,000 of them, um, we have strong uh, results back that indicate that they see the two top safety concerns on the road is impaired driving and distracted driving. And distracted driving is moving up in the ranks in terms of the concern. It's a very dangerous, risky behavior. And, and you fellows were talking about mindsets from the past, but I mean, you got to bring it around to the reality of the situation. Who wants to injure somebody or seriously, uh, you know, kill somebody uh, because you were distracted? I mean, this is just just unforgivable and, uh, and, and unacceptable that this has to happen out there. So... What we do know at this point is that uh, the fines and demerits would stay. We're looking at an immediate suspension at the roadside for three days for a first offense, seven days for a second and offense. And a lot heavier as well. There will be other options here that that the minister can't talk about until the legislation is tabled. But certainly at the front end, that's what you're looking at. But it gets a whole lot tougher as well. Well, I think what they're doing is, is the next step. And, and again, you know, we can't speak to it at this point. But, you know, the, the items that the minister noted, again, I think are, are what I want to applaud them for taking those steps going forward. Um, it's a shame we have to do this, but the reality is we need deterrence and, and let's see if these deterrents work. And if they don't, then we have to go to the next level. And again, you know, we just have to really stop this dangerous behavior. That's Mike Major, President and CEO of CAA Manitoba. He likes his proposal very much. And that's in conversation from Friday with Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham right here on 680 CJOB on the news between 4 and 7. Now, we had that text message earlier from somebody who was saying they got a ticket because they were eating a, a caramel bar. Driving Main Street in Leola, or Leela, pardon me, opened a caramel chocolate bar and got a ticket. And Ryan is at 204-780-6868, wants to weigh in on that. I understand his point. I mean, he feels he got a bad ticket or whatever. But, you know, the reality is, is had the cop seen that it was actually a candy bar, he could have ridden a ticket for the candy bar. You're not allowed to eat and drive. You're, you're distracted. It's like I just maybe I'm, it's the benefit. I just got my license. Um, I uh, was one of those weird holdouts. I didn't have my license all my life, all my adult life, and I finally got to the point where I just I had to. I had to break down and get one. How old are you? Uh, I well, I'm 36 now. I did the bicycle and the bus thing my whole life. So um, I mean, money was a thing too. I could never afford a vehicle before, but that's neither here nor there. So I, I mean, I just went through all of this. I, I remember uh, the the book very clearly i've got a really good memory and i had to memorize that book and it's the law 10 and 2 your both hands are supposed to be on the wheel you're not supposed to, it says it right there in the book putting makeup on eating you know <clears throat> uh fumbling with uh stuff in your purse or your or your bag all of that is distracted driving and when you're when you've been driving for 18 hours straight 
That's also distracted driving. You know, driving is a privilege, in my opinion. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but it's a privilege. And if you can't do it with a sense of... Um, responsibility? Yeah, I guess, sure, responsibility. With a sense of responsibility that maybe you shouldn't be behind the wheel. Ryan, thank you very much for that feedback at 204-780-6868. Mick says, what is frightening is the fact that many people refuse to comply with the law. When such obstinance becomes common, a heavier approach is needed. Suspension and vehicle impounded plus fine plus demerits might finally get through to those unwilling slash unable to obey the law. It is possible to drive without having a phone interfere with the task. I know I did it for over 40 years. 712 on 680 CJOB. Keep that feedback coming in. You can email brett at cjob.com or gmac at cjob.com or you can text us at 204-780-6868. Talking about distracted driving. Uh-huh. Uh, how the uh, province expected to release more details and plans to bring in tougher penalties. For those who drive while using a handheld electronic device, text message at 204-780-6868. Worst case of distracted driving I've ever seen was breastfeeding at 70 miles per hour. <laughs> you're breaking all sorts of laws if you're doing that. Baby's supposed to be in a bucket in the back seat facing backward. If you're carrying your baby in your arms doing that while driving, uh, I bet you can get written up for about nine different things there. So that's that's beyond distracted. Uh, Pat says, I'm all for the legislation of distracted driving. When I'm at a stop sign and I see someone using their phone, I point my finger at them and, then, and I say, put your phone down. They look at me with a sheepish look and they as they uh, as they put their their phone down. Yep. When you see someone looking down, they sure aren't looking at their crotch. Yeah. <laughs> Margaret, is that 204-780-6868? Hey, Margaret, what do you think? I'm just wondering how important are those texts that you're looking at while you're driving? Is it somebody else saying, ooh, I just had a cup of coffee? How important is that to read while you're driving? Well, it's not, Margaret. And, and Kelly Moore made the comment earlier. He referred to it as an addiction. And I can relate to that. I have a problem when my phone is beside me. If I'm in, sitting in my living room, for example, trying to watch a one-hour episode of television can sometimes take me over two hours to finish because I am constantly on my phone. So it is, when I'm, when I'm in the car, I have to, it has to be either on the seat face down or even in my pocket, glove box, wherever, because there is this urge to to want to look and respond to the text, regardless of how insignificant it is. So great point, Margaret. It's not important. <laughs> great. Thanks a lot. Have a good day. Thank you. Too. And you know, the, the point is that it, it distracts you. Text messages distract you from everything. Yeah. Your everyday life. I think that's the point you're making. Never mind the driving. Uh, here's a first time texter at 7806868 on distracted driving. If I'm reading or sending a text. I have to pause any in-person conversations I'm having because of the attention the text requires. Changing the radio station or petting my dog does not require the same attention. Lara is at 204-780-6868. Hey, Lara, what do you think? Hey, I don't think, or I think it should be against the law, but I got two things on the whole distracted driving thing. One, I know a lot of police officers, and they all say, oh, well, I'm talking to my... Um, they call like their criminal, their CIs or whatever. They're like their snitches. Yeah. So they have to take the call, and I'm like, really, you guys can't pull over. So if I take a call from my kid, like that to me would rank the same. 
Um, and two, wouldn't distracted driving also be classified as taking a look for all the potholes on the road in front of you? <laughs> you have to watch so you don't hit them? <laughs> well, the, there, there is an element of uh, you got us there, Lara. I think there's a, a great point to be made. Uh, you know, I've got lots of friends who are police officers as well. And, I mean, their, their job is different. They are trained differently in driving. And I get exactly where people are coming from on that. But like I said earlier, uh, they throw on the lights and uh, drive at 100 kilometers per hour uh, chasing down bad guys doesn't give us permission to do it well i want to do it i want to do it get on and ride along lara it's a blast (laughs) well and like i'm sitting in traffic right now bumper to bumper i'd love to flip the lights and just get out of here and go (laughs) i bet you would lara thanks for the call appreciate it at 204-780-6868 let's try tony next hey tony what do you think well i got a little story for uh on, on my street, this is just when that, uh, that, that law was passed on the, the initial law of distracted driving. Um, and there was a police officer. He was sitting at the light. We were side by side. And he's on his phone, his little flip phone. He's on it. And then he looks down, and he's obviously texting or something. I give him a little, a little toot-toot, right? I, I look over, give him a little toot-toot. And he looks up at me, and he just gives me this look. And the green light... And all of a sudden, he throws his lights on, pulls me over, gives me a $65 ticket for disturbing the peace, for honking my horn unjustifiably. Wow. Yeah. Did you fight it? Of course I did. And? Of course. And what happened? They, it, they threw it out at, uh, as soon as I walked in, basically. But it was, it, it was just un, it was completely ridiculous, the... the uh, of, of the levels that they think and yeah they can throw their lights on and they can you know speed whenever but they do that when they're not even um chasing somebody when they're not even doing they just do that just to get through a light turn them off slow down you know they uh, a lot of the i'm not saying taking anything away from police officers because a lot of them are good but there's a lot of them that are power hungry as well so they they will do whatever they want whenever they want and obviously they're it my story clearly shows that my past clearly shows that. Thank you, Tony. Appreciate it. And I think, you know what? This is highlighting another issue I think we have in our community is that that divide between the police and the general public. Yeah. There is a lot of feeling like that, that there are two sets of rules and uh, that that we've gone from being incredibly respectful to the way police conduct their business at all times to being a little bit suspicious of it uh, with something like this is Tony. And that's actually an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm, if you remember. <laughs> Larry's <laughs> driving right. Ted Danson's Tesla <laughs> and he's behind a police officer. I think it's Damon Wayans is the police officer. Yeah. And he gave him a little bit of a toot or whatever. And of course, Wayans says, you can't do that. I'm going to give you a ticket. <laughs> we'll have to dig up that clip. we got 30 seconds here. Cam, just very quickly, what do you think? Well, I just, uh, that one fellow that called in said he got a ticket for a chocolate bar. Yep. Uh, so now he can't sip your tea as you're going to work, something like that. I, I, I think that was a little far-fetched. Okay. Hey, Cam, thanks for the call, and thanks to everyone for your feedback at 204-780-6868. One, two, three. Right now, it's Three Things with Shanalee Vidal. Three things 
You may have missed over the weekend. Good morning, Shanalee. Good morning, Brett. Good morning, Greg. Happy Monday. Happy Monday to you, Shanalee. Uh, was it Friday night that Headley was here in Winnipeg? That was actually, that was Saturday was night. Saturday they were night. here at, at Bell MTS Place. And, you know, I didn't hear much of a, a ruckus or anything as we might expect, because uh, the band certainly is under fire now. Uh, now that we've heard trouble for them is deepening, uh, Toronto police say their sex crime unit is now investigating frontman Jacob Hogard. Uh, police official says no charges have been laid against the Canadian musician, but the investigation is ongoing. Of course, they've been under fire since sexual misconduct allegations began servicing against them in February, suggesting inappropriate count encounters with young fans. In statements last month, Hogard said the Vancouver-based uh, band will be taking an indefinite hiatus at the end of their Canada-wide tour, and that tour is going to wrap up uh, March 23rd. Of course, the band has also been dropped by radio stations, including uh, Chorus FM stations, and they were pulled from the Juno Awards as a performer, and their management company also dropped them as well. So, yeah, I was looking at uh, my Instagram feed last night, and a couple of people were at the concert on Saturday, and it looked like the show was packed, mm-hmm. and uh, there was the hashtag Winnipeg stands with Headley, which I'm not entirely sure how to feel about that. I mean, certainly if you enjoy their music and you want to go see the, the band and listen to their songs, well, uh, hey, I'm, I'm not a, I was never a huge fan of their music, but uh, given everything that's, that's happened, uh, I was... Genuinely confused. <laughs> I didn't know how to react. And, and, and I think that's, it's a confusing feeling for the young people, for the young sure. fans, right? Because, you know, this is maybe someone you're looking up to, someone's music you love, this concert you're so looking forward to. And then, but then there's all these icky things that are, you know, are happening and it's like, is it wrong to like them? But I enjoy their music. And so I think there's all these confusing feelings inside their fans as well. Well, I interviewed the band uh, about three years ago and had a very positive interaction with uh, J- Jacob Hogard, and uh, he's very active in a lot of human rights things, so uh, this flies in the face of that, and so for a lot of people, it's going to be difficult to separate the allegations from the music and maybe what their personal experience has been with this individual, but clearly if Toronto police are investigating, this is uh, going to the next step. Mm-hmm. But and as I said, no charges have been laid there's as it is still investigating dogs were in the news big time as it pertained to flying last week yeah and that was a, a horrible story last week of course of the story both the the poor dog in the overhead compartment and uh the, it was a three-hour flight and the, the poor dog died in the compartment devastating story now that was on a united airlines flight and united airlines is in the story again involving oh involving a dog so this time a dog that uh, a dog on a united airlines flight uh, he flew to Japan by mistake, and he is now back with his family in Kansas. Did he get on the wrong, like, did he take the wrong gate, or what did, what did he do? Well, Kara Swindle and her two children took a nighted flight Tuesday from Oregon to Kansas City during a move to Wichita when they went to pick up their 10-year-old German Shepherd, Igor, or Ergo, I should say, they were presented with a Great Dane that was supposed to <laughs> have gone to Japan. Not the same thing. <laughs> no, no, not the same, same thing. But yet, and here's a yet. I have yet a, another uh, mis, mishap involving a, a dog on United Airlines. Um, so I'm really happy. It's really good that that dog who flew to Japan ended up safe and sound. That's the important thing. And this one too. There was a, a flight that left for Newark, New Jersey. It was bound for St. Louis. Had to be diverted because the crews realized. Hey, we have a dog on board, and 
this dog isn't actually going to St. Louis. Dog was actually going to somewhere in Ohio. So they diverted the plane to Ohio to take the dog to its destination. <laughs> oh, my. So well, rough, uh, rough week for United. Rough, rough indeed. And what's next involves, oh, haha, I see what you did there. <laughs> Very good. Look at you, Shanley. Good Very for good. you. Very good. <laughs> once in a while. I, We're rubbing off once, on you. That's kind of scary, you know. <laughs> <laughs> what's number three? So num- number three is is a interesting one. So um, there's this petition that is going around with a, more than 125,000 people have signed it. It's calling for the ban of uh, of the sale of all elephant ivory. It's Vancouver-based Elephantatics. Says the goal when the effort was launched last year was for 1,000 signatures. So they have like more than a hundred times that. And one organizer says the huge response shows that people want government officials to do the right thing. Last week, 95 politicians and animal rights activists from Canada and around the world signed a letter to Environment Minister Catherine McKenna repeating the petition's request to halt all domestic trade in elephant ivory. And I guess I'm kind of shocked because I didn't realize that this is this is allowed. I, I assumed it was not. I'm with you. I, I figured this was banned a yeah. long, long time ago. So... Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of, I'm hoping that that petition does do something because, uh, it is, it is a pretty poor thing to see to have, uh, those items brought into our country. Well, thank you for bringing that to our attention, Shanalee. And thank you for three things with Shanalee Vidal heard every day after Global News at eight o'clock with Jeff Braun. Brett, I know you do a lot of walking. Had the dogs out for a walk this weekend, and as the snow melts, guess what you start to find a lot of? A lot more than you saw when there was a ton of snow. A whole bunch of fouling. (laughs) Fouling indeed. Doggy doo-doo, it's everywhere. I do not understand people that do not pick up after their dogs. That's another topic of conversation for another day. What we're going to talk about right now is the fact that the city of Waterloo, Ontario has started a pilot program that involves turning dog waste into energy, but I imagine you have to be picking it up and collecting it in order for that to happen. Now Ottawa is looking at implementing a similar poop power program. So we wanted to learn more about how it works. So we asked the mayor of Waterloo, Dave Jaworski, to join us this morning live on 680 CJOB. Mayor Jaworski, good morning. Good morning, guys. Thanks for doing this, uh, Mayor. We appreciate your time. Tell us a little bit how this uh, program works and how this uh, project is is intended to roll out. Well, in Waterloo, there's a lot of innovation. So uh, a local entrepreneur came up with this idea. If he could capture the dog waste and uh, take it to a biodigester, we'd be able to convert uh, the dog waste into electricity. So he came to us and we said, uh, you know, we'll we give it a shot. We'll put it in three of our parks. And it's a very attractive unit. looks like a rural mailbox where you put the deposit in and uh, it goes to an underground container that's uh, vacuumed out every week or two. And after that, uh, it's taken to the digester and uh, out comes electricity and uh, fertilizer. So it's uh, a great way to uh, uh, get people to deposit the dog waste in one spot and to uh, uh, clean up the parks. Now, I, I understand that, as, and I'd be curious to see what the statistic on this in Winnipeg, uh, but in Waterloo, am I understanding correctly that municipal litter bins were between 40 and 80% dog waste? Yes, yes, that, that is correct. And it's, that's on the uh, the low side, definitely the 40% is, uh, that would be a very clean one. So 
of our 250 tons of uh, park waste that we collect in our that are in the bins. Um, the vast majority of it, so 125 tons, is actually dog waste. And uh, I don't know if Winnipeg's like this, but most municipalities do not have blue bins in parks simply because they'll get contaminated. And nobody wants to uh, sort through the, uh, the recyclables from the uh, dog waste. You know what? I'll have to take note next time I'm in a park as to whether or not uh, there is an abundance or even uh, uh, any uh, recycling bins in parks. Uh, very good point. We'll have to uh, mark that down on things to take note of. So do you, do you, do you use, obviously, you still need to use a, a poop bag or something similar to, to pick up the waste and, and dispose of it, fair to say, Mayor Jaworski? Yeah, so you uh, use your, your general uh, bag, which are mostly compostable now. You toss it into the unit. It goes um, in, in an underground container. Currently, we use black bins that are uh, above ground for people to put in their dog waste. And the problem with that, you know, when it's a, a summer day and you're walking past the, the dog bin and, or the black bin in the park, it has uh, it's odoriferous, shall we say. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> So yeah. what we do is we put it underneath, it's in a cool area, and we can uh, vacuum it out. And uh, so uh, the parks are actually not only cleaner, but they smell, clear. they smell cleaner too. Now, Mayor Jaworski, I know you got into politics, uh, not science, so I don't expect you to know all the brass tacks here, but I am curious how, uh, of the process, how does dog poop make electricity? Well, I think I might be the only mayor in the world who actually has a computer science degree and oh. uh, spent some time out at Gen. I worked at Gendus in 1989 out in Winnipeg for a while. So, uh, yeah, um, what what it does is we, we, we vacuum it out of the underground container and it's taken what's called a biodigester. So a biodigester is a, a modern form of a, a big composter, shall we say. And uh, through that, it gives off uh, gas that can be burnt to generate electricity. And uh, when all the fuel, in other words, the dog waste, is spent, out, out it comes, and it's really compost that's suitable for fields and that. The Mayor of Waterloo, Ontario, Dave Jaworski, joins us now. And Dave, what's been the uptake from the citizenry of Waterloo? Well, people are uh, demanding it in, in all parks. Uh, so we're going to expand the program. So far in our first uh, nine months, let's see, I think we have, uh, we've collected about four tons of dog waste. Um We've generated uh, enough electricity to power 100 homes for a month, and uh, it saved uh, half a ton of CO2 from going into the atmosphere. So good result. And uh, the, uh, the vendor, uh, who, who's local in, in Waterloo, uh, plans to expand and plans to have a, a sort of a, a coupon, shall we say, that every time you make a deposit, you can take a picture with your smartphone with a QR code and uh, then earn points for making your deposit. Now, I'm, so the city of Ottawa, and the reason why we're talking about this now is the city of Ottawa is looking at following in your footsteps. Have they been uh, in discussion with you about it to, to see how you guys figured this out? Well, I think they might have been in touch with the, uh, the vendor uh, rather than uh, direct with the mayor's office because uh, that, that's uh, just something that, you know, everybody wants to clean up the park. I think I read online that Winnipeg is like, the number two dog capital of Canada, second only to Calgary or something like that. So 
There's a lot of brown gold out in those parks. (laughs) I like the way you think, Mayor Jaworski. We've had Mayor Watson on this program before. He is, uh, I think he was voted the most accessible mayor in Canada, and we wanted to to test that out. And sure enough, we extended an invitation for him to join us on our afternoon program uh, almost two years ago now, and he was more than willing to do so. So uh, we appreciate the access to you this morning. Congratulations on uh, finding an innovative way to deal with a real pain in in the neck and uh, we look forward to maybe seeing this in Winnipeg sooner than later. Great. Thank you, guys. All right. Dave Jaworski, mayor of Waterloo, which started a pilot program last year that involves turning dog waste into energy. Now Ottawa is looking at implementing a similar poop power program. Here's the headline. Local boxer headed to Europe this week for a very big match. And in your best ring announcer voice, Brett McGarry, who's our next guest? Olivia the Predator Garula. Now she's ready to go right now after that introduction. <laughs> I Olivia just start Garula. shadowboxing. <laughs> <laughs> that gave me shivers. Well done, Brett McGarry. Very Olivia, nice. good morning and uh, congratulations on your latest quest for yet another world title. Good morning. Nice to be here. Alina Gradner. You're going to Estonia, of all places, to fight this young woman for the IBF Intercontinental World Featherweight title, Narvo Estonia, to be specific. Uh, could you find that on a map seven <laughs> months ago, seven weeks yeah, ago? Yeah, no, I, I had to Google that. And I've kind of been just saying Russia because it's it's kind of funny because the promotion's Russian and the fighter's Russian. I feel like it's kind of like how when you're in States and you can't do something legal and you go up to Canada to do it. I feel like it's like that. So it's connected to <laughs> Russian under Finland. I looked that up. (laughs) Yeah, I see it here. It's uh, Finland to the north, Latvia to the south, and Russia to the east, and uh, the Baltic Sea to the west. Uh, When when you walked into the studio, I had just opened a banana because I hadn't eaten (laughs) breakfast yet, and you you hissed at me. I did, yeah. Like a cat. What's going on there? I did, I did. Um, I'm still in my final cut, so like the next uh, three, four days are going to get a little harsh. I got to shed down around 10 pounds, give or take. Um, So yeah, I'm a lean, mean fighting machine, and uh, anything with food right now, I'm using that as kind of incentive to go put some punishment out (laughs) when I can dish. What can you eat? Um, You know what? I am pretty much a staple of protein. I'm uh, hard-boiled eggs. I'm cans of tuna. I'm apples. I love me some apples. Uh, (laughs) um, Basically like that, clean eating and uh, nothing processed and um, I'm under about eight well under a thousand calories a day 800 give or take and I'm training three four hours so that's uh that's what you get how do you get the energy to train with that little caloric intake I don't know (laughs) it's just you know what it's just it's just me it's what I'm used to there's a stage when I start um, and the first two weeks I kind of get a little tired and my punches are a little weak but then it catches up with me and I'm I'm full-blown so is that to get down to, to weight? Is that to, to shed some unwanted or unnecessary weight? Talk about why you're doing this at this point. You know what? I uh, There's a couple of reasons for the process. Uh, one is I like to eat. Um, so I usually walk around about 150, 145, give or take. I fight down at 126 um, because once I weigh in, I load back up to 135. So I'm, I'm very strong at 145, 150, and I'm really fast at 125. So at 135, I'm both, which is what I want. Um, but it also goes into the prep. So I am training like an animal. I'm 
completely cardioed out right now. I could skip for an hour and a half and not sweat for you right now. Um, so by the time I get to that ring, I'm hungry. I'm mean. I'm, I'm just ready to punch someone. So it's perfect. So what's your reward after <laughs> <laughs> after no, a match? Are you, are you straight for a cheeseburger? What's happening? Anyone who knows me knows I am obsessed right now with cake. I am legit <laughs> sitting down with a full cake and a fork when this is done. Um, after Weihan, I'm going straight to lasagna. I don't know if I can find lasagna in Estonia. I'm sure I can, but that's, yeah, no, I'm I'm all fooded out right now. I actually, it's funny because clients will talk about their diets or whatever, and just like that, I'll be dishing out burpees and push-ups and making them do stuff. So. <laughs> you're, you're a personal trainer in addition am, to being yeah. a professional boxer, <laughs> so you, you have to pay the bills in the meantime. I do, I So do. you're leaving tomorrow? I am, flying out tomorrow. And so uh, the 24th, Saturday in Estonia, talk about uh, where you're going, what time you're going to get there, and, and how this all lays out for you. I imagine you'll have media and, and whatnot to do there as well. Yeah, you know what? Um, I'm not even sure what's going to hit me once I get there. It depends on different countries in the world I've gone to. It's either been the hugest thing where you step off the airplane and there's lines of like TV reporters and crews and you're signing autographs or there's just like a guy holding up your name on a sign and that's it, right? Um, so as far as I know, I mean, I, I'm not sure about the promotional stuff, but um, last little bit now that I've got like 24 hours or whatever I've got, I'm, you know, getting my hair did and my nails done and being a girl because I can. Um, but uh, the, I'm actually really looking forward to the flight. People are like, it's like 15 hours. I'm like, yes, but it's 15 hours where I can't do anything. I can't work. I can't train. I can't nothing. I can read a book. I can sit down watch a movie. I haven't sat down for longer than like two hours in a good six weeks. So when it comes down to it, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So what do you know about your opponent, this Elena Gradinar? <laughs> I just call her Draco. It's fine. Um, so <laughs> she, uh, you know, I don't know tons about her. Uh, she's ain't no. Um, it's one of those things about fighters being untested. I mean, I you know what I was told by one of the people who was like, oh, you're like a gatekeeper for titles. And I am. So people who want to fight for something, they have to fight against me to do it. Now, unfortunately, I've only won three of those titles that I've <laughs> defended. So I know walking into Russia or sorry, Estonia, my bad, um, is going to be a difficult win. I, I know that I need to decisively like bring home teeth. Like I don't have an <laughs> option with this. Um, but I know she uh, I know she switches her stance. I know she drops her left hand down low and kind of almost showboats with that, which is perfect oh. for me because I am an overhand right like that's my money shot. So I, I cannot wait to land it. And in the gym, I've done like 110 rounds of sparring. It's usually what I get for fights. Um, so thank you all my guys down at Stingers because I know I've been hitting you. Um, but uh, I, I'm ready to go and I can land and pick where I want to. So Are good. you still surprising people all these years later in terms of, <laughs> you know, what you pack in your five foot three stature and, you know, at, at 126 or 150 or anywhere in between? Yeah, you know what? I think I do. Um, but again, it's, it's a respect thing. I mean, it doesn't matter if, if there's a dude in there that's 160 pounds and has had a bunch of amateur fights and a really good fighter. I am a three-time world champion. I've got 20 years of experience under my belt. If I don't tune you up, something's wrong with that, right? Um, but yeah, people still look at me and be like, you're what? You, you do what? And I'm like, yeah, I'm a pro boxer. But yeah, I like it. And so you teach... Uh, co-ed kickboxing classes yeah, as well. Yeah, I run boot camps, I run kickboxing classes, I teach boxing, I'm a personal trainer, I live in fitness, so that's what I do. Have you ever uh, had a competitive kickboxing match? Um, I haven't, actually. 
awesome. Um, I've always said it. I, I'm a hundred times better at kickboxing than I've ever been a boxer, which is the weirdest thing. But I have these tree trunk thick legs and I'm flexible. So, um, but I've got a Muay Thai offer on the table. Before oh. I retire, I have always wanted to kickbox. I teach more classes and I, I run more things for kickboxing. So I, I'm legit going to throw every axe kick, every spin kick, every jumping flying knee kick, everything I know. It's going to be so exciting. <laughs> now, of course, we, we saw a mon monumental event in the WWE just a few weeks ago where they had the first ever uh what's it called um uh with all, all the uh with all the uh, everyone in the ring at the same oh, time the royal rumble royal rumble for wi women oh. uh, you know we're running out of time here but this is this is obviously a, a changing pendulum a swinging pendulum for uh women in sport yeah you know what i uh it's, it's been one of those huge goals in my boxing career is just to make an impression in the sport um and then to bring awareness to the to women in sport Olivia the Predator Garula taking on Elena Gradinar for the IBF Intercontinental World Featherweight title in Narvo, Estonia this week. And uh, this is happening on March 24th. Very quickly, uh, you wanted to say hello to your sponsors. I did, yeah. I just wanted to thank uh, some local support. I've uh, got Boogie's uh, Diner, Galarnik Insurance, uh, Bennett Power Services, and Perfect Landscaping. Thank you, guys. All right. The Predator, thanks for joining us once again. Go beat up this Russian <laughs> Drago! She's going down! <laughs> we want to talk about trees. Winnipeg is at risk of losing all of its ash trees after the emerald ash borer beetle was detected late in 2017. But an American company says they could hold the key to saving some of the canopy. Arbor Jet sells a chemical compound that gets injected into ash trees to protect them from the pest. To tell us more, we're joined now by Joe Aiken from ArborJet, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Joe, good morning to you, sir. Good morning. How are you? Doing very well. Doing very well. And this is, I, I got to admit, when I heard about this, I was really excited to hear. So I guess the first thing I want to know is tell us how you came up with this solution. Well, ArborJet's been manufacturing plant health care and tree care solutions for over 20 years. Uh, we're uh, bought based out of Boston, Massachusetts, but a lot of our research got started in Detroit metropolitan area uh, in conjunction with Michigan State and Ohio State on developing a, uh, a treatment for this in the states. So, Joe, tell us a little bit about how this, uh, this little critter does its damage. Well, it's, uh, primarily it's the larval stage that causes all the damage, and that was one of the hardest things. Is it's, it's hard to be seen because it's inside the tree. Uh, the adult just feeds on the foliage, and the larva tolls around in the cambium, uh, disrupting the flow of nutrients from the roots to the canopy and canopy back down. So it kind of girdles the tree from the inside out. So it's not so much, it's not the that the beetles come and eat the leaves that's, that's killing the trees it's they're they're infecting it from within exactly so that's why a tree could be could have emerald ash borer in it and not even be recognized for anywhere from three to five years before your tree will even start to show any signs or symptoms so historically how popular have ash trees been uh in communities across north america to create that urban forest and and to what effect and, and where are we now in a lot of uh, communities and larger cities across North America as it pertains to ash trees? Uh, ash tree is a fantastic urban tree. Uh, does well on the roadsides, uh, urban stresses. And if you look at, especially up in Winnipeg, where there's very few trees that are hardy enough 
to survive uh, the climate up there. Uh, I think Winnipeg, uh, the city of Winnipeg, stated 40% of the trees in Winnipeg are ash. Uh, they're a great tree. Uh, just now that emerald ash borers in North America, um, we're just going to have to start taking care of them a little bit better. So, has there been an instance where Arbor Jet has been called upon to to deal or to help sort of stave off something similar to this? Yes, uh, I guess it, 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 municipalities throughout uh, North America have been, you know, from one range to another. I guess City of Chicago in the states could probably be the largest. Uh, municipality that's handling uh, emerald ash borer with over 80,000 urban trees that they're under their care down to maybe uh, a small city in urban Ohio that has, you know, a hundred. So yes, uh, treatments have been incorporated into a lot of uh, plant health care plans for urban ash trees all across North America. Joe Aiken joins us now from Arbor Jet. Arbor Jet, spelt the American way, A-R-B-O-R-J-E-T dot com. So, Joe, talk about the treatment and uh, the economics of it all. Uh, the treatment's actually pretty basic. Uh, tree injections have been done for about 400 years. Uh, if you look back into the history of trunk injection, we kind of uh, fine-tuned it with both the, the equipment and the chemistry that we apply into the tree. Uh, the, the simple thing is drill, plug, and inject. Drill, access the xylem, which is responsible for upward movement. Uh, we tap in an arbor plug that seals the product in the tree, and then we inject straight through that. Uh, economically, it all depends on the size of the tree uh, and how much chemistry you have to put in that tree. I think the average uh, size of the tree in uh, the Winnipeg metropolitan area is about 30 centimeters, which breaks down to somewhere close to 15 inches. And I guess a homeowner could expect to pay probably around $200 a season to protect that tree. Now, is this an entirely preventative thing, i.e., if the tree is already dealing with this, will this treatment help? It is, uh, well, preventatively, of course, it would probably be easier uh, to maintain tree health, but it can be therapeutic also. Uh, as long as the tree is not too heavily infested and the vascular system has been compromised to the point where it won't be able to translocate this uh, medicament. Uh, and that's why I always recommend that you have your tree uh, inspected by an arborist before you uh, think about having a, a treatment performed on your property or your tree. So, Joe, before we let you go, is this a, is this a chemical compound? Is this a natural uh, amalgamation of uh, compounds? Uh, this this uh, this treatment. It, it, are there any side effects that we need to worry about? Uh, it is a chemical injection. Uh, there are well, like any in, uh, injectable or any uh, chemical. There's always. Uh, the caution and it has to be applied by a licensed landscape exterminator. But any adverse effect in the long term in the environment, no. All right. Joe Aiken from ArborJet, thank you so much for joining us to tell us more about this product that could save Winnipeg's ash trees. Good day to you, sir. And to you guys also. All right. Thank you very much, Joe Aiken from ArborJet, which sells a chemical compound that gets injected into ash trees to protect them from the emerald ash borer beetle which is coming to winnipeg and it's going to cost us millions upon millions of dollars yes whether we 
opt to treat the trees in advance or, as you mentioned, and that, I thought that was a great question, uh, to interrupt the cycle of the beetle and hopefully save the tree or to cut them down and dispose of the wood. Either way, it's going to be millions of dollars uh, spent. And as an individual, as a homeowner, uh, you know, is it worth a couple hundred bucks a year to keep a, an ash tree on your property? I think there are going to be a lot of people who say, yes, I, I'm up for that. Yeah, because the recent report from the city of Winnipeg says Winnipeg will spend $90 million over the next 10 years managing dead trees on city property, trees that are, that are killed by the boar. You know, they say that money can't buy happiness, but uh, oh, I'd like to give that theory a try just once. <laughs> Hey, give me a ton of money. I'll get back to you with the research on that. <laughs> What's the worst thing that could happen? Oh, you're right. I wasn't happy, but I'm rich. <laughs> Tributes are pouring in after news that Canadian stand-up comedy veteran Mike McDonald has passed away. His younger brother, John Paul, says he died yesterday afternoon at the age of 62. He says McDonald died from heart complications at the Ottawa Heart Institute. The longtime comedian was a regular on Just for Last Stage, also appeared on The Late Show with David Letterman and Arsenio Hall. We're joined now live on 680 CGOB by local comedian Big Daddy Taz. And uh, Taz, uh, condolences to you and to your community. Uh, how well did you know Mike McDonald? I've known Mike for 25 years. He was... Uh not only a mentor and an icon or somebody that I wanted to strive to be like or have the excess, success of, he was, a, he was a close, close friend. And Taz, uh, for those maybe who were not familiar with McDonald, what, what would you say uh, differentiated his comedy from others? Well, he was the first, right? He was the first to go out and really make it big. He was invited back to every Just for Laughs uh, uh, since its inception. His... Uh, his style was just uh, nobody had seen it before. And so he set the bar for not only every Canadian comedian, but for every uh, comedian. I remember somebody was saying that one night they were, they were, uh, got bumped because he was, you know, the amateur guy got bumped. And uh, there was a Jay Leno and a couple other really heavy hitters, and they all refused to go on. They let Mike go on. They, went, they wanted Mike go on uh, last. Nobody wanted to go on after Mikey. Taz, you had something else besides comedy in common with Mike McDonald. Oh, we had our we had our demons. We had our mental health uh, demons, and uh, we worked on them together. I mean, Mike was the first guy that I knew that actually uh, admitted himself into the psych ward because he was so suicidal at one point in time, and his battles with addictions and things and that. I think that's that's another depth of our kinship was was our. Uh, we would sit around and talk about the darkness and then how to change it into light for other people to laugh at. Why is that sort of a common thing, Taz, that the people who who strive to make us laugh as a profession are often battling, as you put it, uh, battling some demons and having some some difficulties uh, sort of behind closed doors? I, I actually don't have an answer for that. I just know it's quite common and that... Most of the comedians and entertainers I know are, in quotation marks, broken in some way. And I, I think it's just that we feel safe on stage. So we just, you know, we just excel there. Now, some of it is when you get off stage, you got that high that you don't get when you're off the stage. So some people chase it through drugs and alcohol and, and things like that. But, you know, back back to, like, Mikey and himself, it was um, the... Uh, 
he was he was cut out of a, a cloth and nobody else seemed to be able to to weave. You know what I mean? He was just was he just was Mike and the 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 name's Mike McDonald. Everybody, oh yeah, yep, yep, that's him. That's Mikey. Was he quintessentially Canadian? Was there something or anything in particularly Canadian about his act and his material to us? Well, I don't think, it, uh, other than the fact that he didn't get to the uh, levels of stardom that he should have, that was the only part that is real Canadian about him for sure. I mean, we have so much talent in this country, and uh, we get we get passed over because you know we're we're not we're not in the uh, you know south of the border. But Mike uh, Mike appealed to all audiences. I I've, I've uh, you know, we were talking one time about bombing, and he says, well, if you're going to bomb, do the best you can, right? B- bomb as well as you can, you know. Yeah, so I'm just, I uh, was watching some of his his comedy today, and he, uh, there was, one of the things that I noticed is there was nothing sort of malicious in there. It all just seemed to be light, uh, completely relatable stuff. I know that that's kind of what, one of the things that Seinfeld is famous for for just making observations yeah. about everyday life, but uh, is it safe, maybe it's safe to say Mike was uh, the pioneer for that. Well, you know what Mike was he he could make almost anything funny. I mean, he would talk talk about the darkest, darkest stuff, and it would be hilarious because you know what it, he was talking about it. It made people feel okay laughing about it. You know, the the, the clip you played is probably from the one from the Vancouver uh, where you were standing there with a big Mike McDonald behind him and. And um, I was I was at World of Wheels this weekend, and I I read that Mikey had passed, and I was having some tears, and I just couldn't control them. And the lady came by. <clears throat> sorry, I got a bit of a cold here, guys. Uh, a lady came by and said, "Are you okay?" And I said, "Oh, just my Mike McDonald passed away." And he goes, oh, "I love him." You know what? My funniest, the funniest thing he ever said was, it was about dialing the. The 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 one one nine hundred numbers. Oh, find out a woman's fantasies. Find out her her deepest desires. Call now, and then you'd call, and she'd say, "I just want to be paid the same as a man." That'd be awesome. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm I'm completely paraphrasing. You know, when I was first starting out, and and I and I talked to Mike, and he would always say, "Talk to me after the show," because he would have things for you. He would have advice, and here, make this bit longer, and don't go after the fool's gold, which is the easiest laugh. Hunt for that and, and make them work for it, right? And then he would say to me, he always said to me, my my rule of thumb is, you know, set up the joke, say the punchline, act out the punchline. So if you watch Mikey work, he would do something and then he would say the punchline and then he would act out the punchline. And that's that was so very successful. And he just talked about anything. There was nothing that was taboo. Big Daddy Taz joining us now. Mike McDonald, in case you hadn't heard, passed away over the weekend. He was 63. Legendary Canadian comedian. And he gave back as well. I know he made at least one trip to Afghanistan to entertain the troops. That's I can't imagine doing that. Have you done that, Taz? I have not. It, I, I kind of feel bad because every time I get booked, uh, they have to cancel for some sort of insurgence or something uh, terrible that has gone on. They go, oh, we can't have you guys come out. You know, the whole tour gets canceled. So, I uh, it's on my it's on my list of things that I really want to do because, you know, if it wasn't for the men and women of my country fighting for my right to say what I could say, if I said what I said, I'd be in jail or disappeared. So one of the things we wanted to do here as well, Taz, is refer to, there's a documentary uh, that he was, it's called The Mic Stand. I'm just yeah, The Mic Stand, yeah. I'll just put Taz on hold and uh, play a clip from this documentary, forthcoming documentary called The Mic Stand. Here we go. 
Because of the remote control, I now have the attention span of a gerbil. It's amazing. I spent about 22 years in LA. I finally came back to Canada about a year before I, uh, before I got sick. A veteran comedian has come home to Ottawa for the fight of his life, and he's asking for your help. He has hepatitis C, and he needs a liver transplant. I pledge if I come out of this to continue. It's not something I'm going to turn my back on if I get well again. After my liver transplant for a good year, I, I couldn't remember a word of my act. To wake up and feel that you can't do that anymore would be paralyzing. I had to like virtually start over. Did you use some of the old jokes like that had been written uh, down or something? No, because I, I couldn't remember them. Again, that is part of uh, that's part of a trailer for a documentary called The Mike Stand. Mike McDonald had been working with filmmaker Brendan Martins on this documentary. And Taz, one of the things that really jumped out of me there is is how he said he couldn't remember any of his stuff. Did you talk to him while he was going through that? Oh, 100%. 100% we did. You know, we did a fundraiser called, called Crack, Cracking Up the uh, Capital for Mental Health in Ottawa. And it was uh, when we found Mikey, I found out when Mikey was sick, of course, everybody banded together and let's have some fundraisers. I was trying to do something for Mikey. And, and uh, you know, he could barely, he could barely move. He was, he was, it, I, I thought we were going to lose him then. And it was so hard to see somebody that you loved so much and, and adored uh, going through that. And there's nothing you can do. So we had this fundraiser, and we all kept waving up to the, where Mikey and his wife Bunny were, and uh, you know, waving, you know, thanks, Mike. This one's for you, but and then they were gonna, they gave Mike an award uh, for his, uh, you know, just for 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 his uh, contribution to the comedy world, and he was shuffling, shuffling, shuffling. And they said, well, maybe we'll give, and the MC said, let's give Mike, let's give Mike a chance to talk, and they put on the microphone. And it was like a child on Christmas Day with that, his eyes lit up. And he, he raced across the stage and grabbed that microphone and was in doing bits right away. Like, it was just so cool to see. Comedy was his passion, his life, his heart, I think. Taz, before we let you go, you know, we try to appeal to all listeners as we're having this discussion. And uh, Brett and I love stand-up comedy, and uh, obviously this is your livelihood. But why should everyday Canadians uh, be mourning the passing and taking some time to, uh, to put Michael McDonald in their prayers tonight? The king has fallen. Big Daddy Taz. I'm, I'm devastated, but... He was the quintessential Canadian comedian and just a dear, dear human being. Big Daddy Tess, thank you so much for joining us to tell us about this, about your friendship with Mike McDonald. And there's a quote here that I want to read. This is from OttawaCitizen.com. And it he was it reflects how McDonald was genuinely well liked for a reason that he touched upon just last month in a phone interview. And he says, quote, it's not a burden to be considerate, McDonald said in describing his brand of humor. More to the point, he added, don't be, uh, I'll have to paraphrase this, uh, but he says, don't be a jerk. It's not a burden to be considerate. And he's right. How it, Canadian is that? That's all the time we have. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Thanks to Behind the Glass, Jerry and Shanley Vidal. And thank you for listening to CJOB. And then-